Hey everyone, this is Jamil Curry. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're back with another episode in our Cocodona Training Talk mini-series as we get closer to Aravipa's inaugural Cocodona 250 on May 3rd. Cocodona is a 250-plus-mile trail race that starts in the outskirts of the Sonoran Desert in Black Canyon City and climbs up into the Ponderosa Pines in the high-altitude mountain town of Flagstaff. The course connects amazing landscapes and iconic towns along the way. These Cocodona Training Talk episodes will be hosted by our friend Shelby Farrell at Gooder. Shelby will be running Cocodona this year. She has run a 100-miler before, but this will be a whole new experience for her. So she sat down with several different runners to get some training advice and learn more about their own preparation and race strategy before the big day. In today's episode, Shelby chats with Aravipa Racing Team member and Flagstaff local, Drew Freeze. Enjoy the episode. Hey, yo, it's Shelby back to have another chat with a fellow Cocodona 250 athlete. We got Drew Freeze in the house, Aravipa Racing Team athlete. What's up, Drew? I heard you just got back from an epic training run in the Grand Canyon. Yeah, that's right. Um, went out yesterday to visit the other river that goes through Grand Canyon, the Little Colorado, where it meets the actual Colorado. Um, yeah, like a nice kind of long day in the heat, um, trying to run with uh, three liters of water in my pack, which is so hard <laughs> when you're not used to it. Um, yeah, and spent about 12 and a half hours over some really hot, sandy, dry um, lesser known Grand Canyon trails. Um, just getting ready for, um, big slow grinder in a couple of weeks. That's awesome. What's your method for your three liter carry? Oh man, I feel like I need to solicit better, um, uh, better ideas on how to carry. Cause I've got a Solomon pack with a two liter bladder in the back and it just does that like slapping on your back thing that drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then I've got a 0.6 liter Katahdin um, squeeze filter, um, like a soft flask filter uh, that goes right up front, and a Solomon soft flask uh, as well. So all together, you get three liters, two in the back and one up front. Nice. Yeah, I've been running with the Solomon vest, uh, and it has the two soft flasks in the front, and then... Mm-hmm. I have a 1.5 liter for the back, but I also bought a bunch of other soft flasks. So I don't know. I imagine I'll do some combo of that, but I do like the soft flasks for, you know, having one to put electrolytes in and one for water and being able to easily. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I feel like, um, just pounding tons and tons of water all day for days on end gets really old. And if you can put any kind of mix in there, just to make drinking fluids um, less of a chore, um, it's really handy. Yeah, it's an interesting balance though. Um, I recently got a, an FKT out here in Los Angeles and at one point, all people I've been handing me were weird electrolyte sports drinks and I was like, can I please just have normal water? Yeah. Be mindful of that, I guess. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, when you have the two, the two plastic and your water, then you're like weird stuff. You got to be careful with the fizzy ones, though. Like, um, I, I went through a phase of buying a lot of uh, fizzy products and put them in there and like go run, and it explodes. Uh, yes. Like it's like a 
you know, like a, a geyser like right in your face that's yes i exciting. Um, recently experimented putting a bang energy drink in one of my soft flasks and when i like bit it to suck it it was just like like my face it was so alarming um so yeah you can like squeeze some of that air out before <laughs> taking yeah. a sip carbonation in, in those little soft flasks it gets weird sometimes <laughs> real weird that's a, that's a good tip <laughs> um yeah, so at the time of recording this, we're exactly three weeks out, which is pretty insane to think about. Like yeah. in three weeks, we'll be somewhere on course right now. So what's what's your plan for the next three weeks? How do you, how's it going to play out? Um, so I've been trying to kind of take it easier. I did, um, the run yesterday was my third weekend in a row doing a 50K or over distance. I raced uh, 50Ks for two weeks, two weekends previous, um, and then followed up one of those races with a backpacking trip. Like, um, awesome. went and ran a 50K in the morning, went straight to work, took like a three hour nap at home, and then left for a backpacking trip in Grand Canyon right after, kind of mixing up that like um, uh, power hiking, backpacking, I'm really tired legs kind of a thing. Um, and yeah, after doing like 12 and a half hours, my feet yesterday, I kind of a slow jog run effort. Um, I'm kind of looking forward to tapering. Um, so I think I'll do one more week of kind of big verb. Um, and then I'm just going to a lot of really easy, really slow runs. Um, I tried to, I've done 24 hours twice. Um, but I tried to jump into one of those last person standing events uh, figuring that just my normal running fitness would see me through running a lot slower. And that was not how it shook out for me at all. Um, my takeaway from that last person standing was, um, if you don't practice running really, really slow with like a short stride, lower cadence, um, that's kind of a shock to your, your body. Like even how you hold your arms and shoulders, um, it can feel weird if you don't practice it and be strangely exhausting. So my plan is kind of just to do a lot more of that um, kind of painfully slow running, getting used to that um, hike jog transition. I think we're going to be doing a lot of at Cocodona. Yeah. Tell me what you know about the course. I've heard some mixed things. Like it seems pretty runnable, but then in looking at the guidebook, I know there's sections where it encourages you to have poles. And so what, what do you think in there? Yeah, um, I really like having poles for, for certain um, types of events. Um, I think for the amount of hiking, like um, I have a little bit of a through hiking background and I really like um, um, trekking poles when through hiking. I feel like it just helps keep my body more upright because uh, I have terrible posture. Um, so it kind of just helps my body stay more upright, more efficient having poles. I don't really mind carrying them. Um, so for poles, I think I'm definitely going to take them with me. Um, I really like having them. Um, oh, I forget what the rest of that question. Oh, the, the course. Um, uh, let's see. I've raced on part of it. I've been trying to get out. I tried to sign up for every Arab I've raced that's on that course. So that would be um, Whiskey Basin, Black Canyon, Crown King. Um, I ran a 50k fat ass in Sedona uh, last week um, that Arab I didn't put on, but um, and then do a lot of my training here in Flagstaff where the course finishes. 
Um, so I feel pretty familiar with a lot of the course. I've lived in Prescott and Sedona and lived here in Flagstaff. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's going to be pretty wild weather transitions. Um, so just kind of being used to the extreme differences in, in warm and cold is going to be kind of wild, especially starting so close to Phoenix and then ending up here in Flagstaff, um, doing Mount Eldon, maybe in the middle of the night where it's just like always windy up there and always pretty cold. Um, that should be interesting. Uh, if you've never been up Eldon Lookout Trail, which is like our very last climb, it is super burly. It's really steppy and technical. And you just gain, I think like 1500 feet in two and a half miles. It's really steep and steppy. Yeah, it's gonna be insane to do that. It's a crazy finish. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even just looking at the the map, it's like you hit Sedona and it's kind of this crazy line to Flagstaff to finish. And um, I'm I don't live in elevation, so I'm curious how that's gonna play out. Yeah. Um, you live somewhere where it's relatively what part of California you're in? I'm coastal, Redondo Beach. So okay. I've I've made it out to Mammoth and Bishop's recent uh, Bishop. It's like first you drive through Bishop, then you hit Mammoth Lakes. Um, so I've, I, I typically have fared well with elevation, but yeah. that's going to be, I guess I'm just hoping that, you know, we're going to be going up and down so much that it just won't even matter. Yeah. Um, our disadvantage here in Flagstaff is that it's like the coldest place within like a couple hundred miles in any direction. Mm -hmm. So anywhere we go from here, like for Flagstaff runners, um, you're always at a little bit of a loss for heat adaptation. Um, like you go down to Sedona, it's at least 10 degrees hotter. You go down to Phoenix, it's at least 20 degrees hotter. Like everything is hotter than Flagstaff because we're at elevation here. So um, part of my strategy has been trying to get heat adapted because um, there's some hot parts of that course too. Um, like going into Sedona um, from like Jerome to Sedona, it's a really hot stretch. Um, it's really exposed. It's the lime kale or lime kiln um lime kiln part of that um which i've run before in training runs and it, it gets toasty yeah do you have a special hat or some sun sleeves what's your go-to there um i've just been running in like a long sleeve flannel that keeps like your neck kind of covered because mm -hmm. you can get so much sun on your neck it seems um and then just putting a white bandana under a trucker hat and that is my very budget solution to um, not buying a ton of new stuff for this event. Yeah, I love it. Make use of what you have. I think uh, Pam Reed was talking about just cutting up socks and putting ice in them and using that. So yeah, get crafty. Totally. That's a uh, great idea. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess the logistics with the whole temperature shifting factor will be drop bags and crew and just knowing where where to make sure you can access that cold weather gear so you're not carrying it unnecessarily through hot sections. Uh, is there a certain part of the course that you're looking most forward to? Ooh, um, let's see, it's a good question. I think going in through, um, there's a couple. Um, I used to live in Sedona and I really like the Sedona um, section, like the Sedona running. Um, has always been super special for me. That's where I started running 
that's where I trained for my first marathon, trained for um, uh, every ultra I ever ran, like every distance I ever hit, I trained for it there. Uh, I just moved to Flagstaff less than a year ago. Um, so Sedona trail running, it's pretty close to my heart and it's super beautiful. Um, the climb leaving Sedona is pretty terrible. Um, it's just a uh, power line uh, access like switchbacks. Um, it's called Kastner Mountain. Um, and that's what's taking us from like the Red Rock country up to like up the Muggy Oat Rim um, towards like Flagstaff elevation. And it's super wild. That's gonna be a tough one without poles. Um, or even with poles, it's it's super wild. But at that point, uh, once you get to the top of that climb when you're ascending, you're looking down into the Verde Valley from this ridge on one side, and you're looking into Sycamore Canyon Wilderness on the other side. You're just kind of on this little spine. Um, and if it's light enough, if it's not in the middle of the night, you're just looking at these beautiful um, red rock formations on either side of you um, while climbing into the pines. And then you can see Humphreys Peak and the Kachina Peaks around Flagstaff in the distance. Um, so it's a pretty special part of the course. Yeah, um, it sounds beautiful. Uh, I wonder, is there any wildlife that you've seen out there that we should keep our eyes open for? Um, totally. Um, let's see, I know in the lower Sonoran Desert, they have scorpions, which are super terrifying, um, and rattlesnakes down there. Um, I think we're going to be at higher elevation for most of the course. Um, and it's not really the right time of year to see tarantulas because uh, they like to come out in the monsoon rains. And it's just not that time of summer yet for us. Um, in the high country, there's tons of elk out right now. And you'll, you'll definitely hear them bugling and doing their thing. It sounds super wild. I've never heard of elk bugle before. They sound crazy. I just had a coworker yeah. running in Flagstaff too. And he said it was the most serene thing. He didn't see people for hours and then just ran into this herd of elk and it was yeah I can only hope that we get to experience something that majestic while we're out there yeah those are pretty cool um there's a lot of javelina uh that come out which are kind of like the wild boar looking guys um yeah a lot of javelina around Sedona um when I used to live there I'd see them all the time out on runs um what else uh roadrunners um yeah, you can see roadrunners. They like the, the lower Sonoran and like middle Sonoran desert. Um, but those are super cool and majestic. Um, wild little cuckoo birds. Um, and I've seen one porcupine in Flagstaff, but porcupines are fun. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to those creepier critters, the tarantulas, which hopefully we don't see, uh, scorpions and rattlesnakes. Do you have yeah. any uh, go-to, I mean, we see rattlesnakes out on the trails here in Southern California. And I mean, I usually can like throw a rock at it and it will scamper off. But I guess the trouble is if you don't see it and yeah. see you first. Yeah. Careful with those headphones. Right. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, a lot of stuff in the desert comes out at night. Um, I think we're going to be moving so slowly that we're not going to come up on anything super fast. Like, I think we're going to be going so slow that if you somehow came up on a rattlesnake that wasn't actively slithering away from you because it feels your running feet uh, coming towards it, um, we're going to be going so slow that you'll notice it. Um, yeah. 
Um, we don't get a ton of those in like the middle Sonoran desert, like above 4,000 feet. They kind of like the lower stuff. So once we leave um, Phoenix or not Phoenix, um, Rock Springs, I don't think that's a super big thing we have to worry about other than that section right before Sedona, the lime kiln uh, trail. Um, so there, there's just such a small part of the course that that would even be a thing. And it's not really a great season for snakes to be out um, anyway. All right. That's good. I know I have a, yeah. a pacer that will be very happy to hear that. So yeah. Yeah. Um, um, you should consider yourself lucky if you see one. Yeah. Cause they're, they're kind of majestic to appreciate from the distance. I, I mean, yeah. Snakes are, they look like dinosaurs. It's out of this world. Um, totally. that, and, uh, I did see a tarantula on a run a couple of years ago for the first time. And that was also like, I had to stop and I put my sunglasses down. I work for gooder sunglasses. So I had to like take my sunglasses off, take a picture of them with, with the tarantula. Um, yeah, I, I, I love nature, but I know that there could be some people out there that get a little squeamish if they came up on a course, especially when you're super delirious attempting yeah. to run 250 miles. So totally. glad we had this talk. <laughs> Is there anything that you're feeling really uncertain about? Uh, we were talking earlier, both of us are rookies to this distance. What's, what's on your mind there? Yeah, um, looking at the competitive <clears throat> men's field, um, I'd see a lot of um, guys that have experience doing really good at multi-day stuff. Um, so you have like um, um, Carl Meltzer, um, Michael Versteeg, Corey Woltering, um, and uh, Peter Mortimer, who all are really good at multi-day, um, knowing how to just get stuff done um, day after day um competitively and that's um i'm just not really sure like how to meter uh meter out your effort in a way that's sustainable um and competitive over that many days so i think that's what i'm most concerned about right yeah the uh type form came out last week of where do you think you're going to finish in this race and the options were top 10 or not top 10 so yeah uh yeah, that's kind of wild and exciting, but. Yeah, I put myself at a top 10 contention. I think I'm, um, maybe you've had a lot of other people asking you too, but anytime I tell somebody I'm running this race, you're like, how long do you think that's going to take you? I have no idea at all. I think finishing's a great, finishing within the cutoffs is great, but yeah, it seems like how much can you really plan on, you know? Like, it seems like you kind of have to kind of let your body do what it wants to do as far as sleeping and pacing. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be very much based on feel and I don't want to sleep if I don't have to. And I'm hoping that I can pull one of those, close your eyes for five minutes and feel like you slept the whole night. Things that I keep hearing awesome stuff about, but we'll see if that works. Yeah. I guess, um, uh, that would be my answer then is the sleep deprivation is the thing that that makes me most concerned with or the thing I'm most concerned with. Um, I do terrible without sleep um, and I can manage for like maybe a day. Um, but yeah, I just get so sleepy. Um, I don't know how trying to finish a 250 mile race in a competitive 
way and balanced sleep works. Uh, I'm not good at that. It's not a thing I want to practice. Um, yeah, I don't know. Right. I know I had a fleeting thought maybe two weeks ago of, Hmm, should I just try to stay up all weekend and run and see what happens? But it's a silly fleeting thought. And I, yeah, it's not something so bad that, for you. Yeah. It's not something I really want to practice outside of the event. So exactly. We're winging it. Yeah. I mean, it just seems so bad for you to practice that. Like, um, it's just so much unnecessary stress and fatigue on your body that doesn't need to be there. Um, like it seems like it's sabotaging your training runs if you can't get good recovery because you're skipping sleep to practice for a race. But I don't know. Um, I've practiced by heading to 50Ks right after work or like leaving at 2 or 3 a.m. from flags after race down in the valley. So I'm going to call that good enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think just the nature of trying to put this much volume in in a week while living normal human lives, uh, you definitely get a little sleep deprivation training by default. Hopefully yeah, it counts for something. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I've been trying to focus in my training box less on mileage because uh, I'm going so much slower and more on just training volume time wise. And that's been really, really beneficial because it's so easy to fix it on like 100 mile weeks um, and stuff like that. And it's a lot healthier for me to look at time spent on feet because you can throw in skiing and backpacking in there too um and look at like the whole um the amount of time you're getting on feet training your body like that so yeah that's that's been helpful for me it's not getting fixated on 100 mile weeks and running myself into the ground like that ditto yeah i did a slow 29 miler and i definitely felt what you were saying earlier about just it it was weirdly a very tiring day i mean yes most people would listen to okay you did 29 miles on a saturday of course you're going to be tired but it was it was going slower and it beats your body up in a unique way so i'm i'm glad that i've also been practicing slow pace nutrition like taking the time to eat and not just doing the miles for the sake of the miles but making them valuable training miles exactly um i raced like a sub four hour 50k um a couple weeks ago and that's one of those things where you can get by with like a couple gels kind of minimal water and just bang that thing out in under four hours and then yesterday i spent 12 and a half hours covering 34 miles in grand canyon just chugging along like um with a full pack and poles, drank like two gallons of water, ate a bunch of food, carried a ton of gear. And that was way more beneficial that like super slow, never getting my heart rate that high up than running a fast 50 K it's like such different training. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And they're both going to help you immensely come May 3rd when we're out there. Yeah. Just, yeah, sending it. Uh, I guess let's end on a fun question. What is your most creative food concoction that you've had while ultra running? Oh, man. Uh, so yesterday in Grand Canyon, I took uh, cheddar cheese curds and flaming hot Cheetos and put them in the same baggie so that when you're running, 
the flaming hot Cheetos coat the cheese curds and you get spicy flaming hot cheese curds. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is um, fun. <laughs> that's, that's what we did yesterday. That was fun. Um, yeah, I don't know if I can beat that. And that, that sat okay in your stomach too? You're good? Yeah, totally. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I, I like to pack in pizza um, backpacking. So I think um, I work at Pizza Clutter here in Flagstaff. I think I'll have to pack in some Pizza Clutter pizza for a couple a couple legs of uh, cocoa donut as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Powered by pizza. Amazing. You got to... Cool. Well, thank you so much for this chat. I think that it's going to be fun for fellow runners to listen to. Um, I'd love to send you some gooders. So please email me your address too. So you have some fresh sunnies to run in, of course. Yeah. Uh, I just replaced a pair. Uh, I broke my first pair um, and then just replaced some. And I was thinking, I wear glasses and contacts. Um, Gooder, since they're non-slip and they're so great, um, really needs to come out with that prescription, uh, prescription gooder because oh, they're so, cause they're so good for running. I feel like everybody that wears glasses and contacts would really get a lot out of having a no slip prescription. Something. Yeah. You know, I've tried to pitch it. Um, these are prescription gooders. Actually. I brought them to my, I, I just brought the frames to my eye doctor and they're able to put them in. Um, the top secret thing that I'm not supposed to necessarily say out loud is I can pop these lenses out into all of the other OG frames. So now I have all the colored prescription glasses I could ever want. Yeah, um, that's what I need in my life. You do, yeah. And it's a yeah. game changer because my prescription, I I haven't gone to the world of contacts yet. It's just not that bad of a prescription, but at night it I really benefit from <laughs> having glasses on. So it's yeah. totally changed up my game with trail running at night. This plus a Kagala light and I'm like, Oh, huh, I can see. I'm not afraid of it. Feels like daytime. So, yeah. Well, I feel yes. like once you get a Kagala, you never go back to wearing a headlamp. Or if you do, you're like, how did I ever run with this? I can't see anything. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, um, it, it happened. It all came together for me at Havelina, actually. I had just gotten the prescription gooders and had been training with those. And then I got my Kagala light on race day at Havelina. Ben Light like delivered it to me because I was, I'm, pretty last minute with life and uh, ordered it kind of late so anyways whatever got on course and was like holy shit i can see yeah yeah so prescription gooders plus kagala and you're good to go i know i got one half i gotta work on the other now yeah get those yeah, prescription yeah, yeah. gooders totally i'll send you a bunch of frames so you have uh, options nice that'd be amazing cool <laughs> sweet well have a good one and i'll talk to you in May. See you in May. All right, that does it for today's episode. Thank you to our friend Shelby for doing these interviews. And thanks to our guests for sharing great training advice and insights into their own Cocodona race preparation. We've got a lot more trail running content coming your way soon. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a thing. And if you've got the time, consider leaving us a review. It really helps us out. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Jamil Curry. See you on the next episode.